be here with you this week as we go to the Word together. This is a remarkable passage. I'm excited to go through it this morning with you. Before we go to the Word, though, let us pray together. God, we praise you and worship you that you are a Father who loves us deeply. And in your love for us, you sent us your only Son, Jesus Christ. And as we turn to the Word this morning to read of Christ, this living incarnate Word, I pray that you would reveal him to us in the written Word in a way that we have not perhaps seen or heard him before, because it is only through you, through the the opening the supernatural opening of our eyes that we may see. It is only through you working in our hearts that we may feel and know. And I pray that that would be done this morning in each of us. I pray that you would use the words coming out of my mouth to proclaim your words, not Ben's, but Christ. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So a brief recap again. We are, of course, we're moving through our our study of the I am statements. The last, not this last Sunday, but the Sunday prior, we went through two of those. We looked at when Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am, in the morning. And then we looked at, I am the good shepherd. In both of these instances, they both basically have the same result. In the first of those, if you remember... Ultimately, they respond with disbelief, and they seek to stone and kill Jesus, and Jesus departs from them. While we didn't actually go over that whenever we read through, I am the good shepherd, that passage eventually, if you read through all of chapter 10, they get to the same point. They seek to stone and kill Jesus. So both of these encounters took place in Judea. And this would be where the opposition against Jesus was most centralized. So after John relates to us this second attempt on Jesus' life, we find in verse 40 of chapter 10 that Jesus went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. Jesus goes to a place that is more remote and further removed from the organized attempts at taking his life. So now when we come to chapter 11, where we're looking this morning, this This passage is, again, fairly lengthy, um, but in order to gain the full grasp of what is going on, we need to go through all of what we're going through this morning. So this is chapter 11, verses 1 through 44. We'll break it up into pieces, and we'll go through it a little bit at a time. So initially, we'll go through chapter 11, verses 1 through 16. We'll just go to the Word. Now, a certain man was ill. Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister, Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. 
The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you were going there again. Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. These first 16 verses, they set the stage for us, so to speak. We read here that Lazarus is initially very sick. He's not dead yet, initially. When Jesus hears, Lazarus is alive, but he's ill. Lazarus is the brother of Mary and Martha, two sisters that appear in other passages also. These three siblings apparently count Jesus as a very close friend. And his friendship is reciprocal. You read in that first couple of verses, so the sister sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. And then later in verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So this is a reciprocal, close friendship. They love Jesus. Jesus loves them. They are his friends. Notice also Jesus' response to hearing of Lazarus' illness. This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. That's verse 4. Now, what's interesting here is that we know that Lazarus does die. Jesus knows Lazarus will die. He knows before anyone else relays to him the news, and before they even set out to go to where Lazarus is, Jesus tells his disciples in verse 14, quote, Lazarus has died. Also recognize the purpose of the illness. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Bear that in mind, okay, as we keep going. We're going to keep coming back to that again and again. If you remember, when we went through I Am the Good Shepherd, we had to go back a little bit further and read about the man who was born blind that Jesus healed. If you remember, there's a man who's born blind, and the disciples and Jesus, they're walking along, and they, they come upon this man. He was born blind, and the disciples, they ask Jesus, why was this man born blind? And in their minds, they're, all, they're automatically assuming one of two conclusions. They believe, did, did he sin or was it his parents that sinned? They, they automatically go to, well, sin is the reason why this man was born blind. And if you remember, in chapter 9, Jesus responds to them, the purpose of this man's blindness was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. It didn't have anything to do with sin at all. Now let's come back to where we are here in chapter 11, where we are this morning. Lazarus' illness is not an accident. It is not the result of chance. It is not a punishment for sin. Whatever set of circumstances that align in this situation have a purpose ordained by God. Just as the man who was born blind was born blind so that the works of God would be displayed in him, Lazarus' illness is not ultimately intended for Lazarus' death, but for the glory of God so that the Son, Jesus, might be lifted up. This truth is radically important, both in this setting 
that we might understand it, and also in our own personal sets of circumstances. There is purpose in Lazarus' illness, a purpose intended by God for good. As we keep going through chapter 11, the Gospel of John tells us that Jesus cared deeply for his friends, Martha and Mary and Lazarus. He was five. He loved them. And the interesting thing here is that Jesus' love for his friends leads directly to Jesus delaying his departure to go to them. If you read that. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, coming right out of, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed. Two days longer. That doesn't quite make sense the way we, we would either read that Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, so he departed immediately. Or we would read, he loved them. However, because of this, Jesus had to stay two days longer and then he left. It doesn't say that. It has here that Jesus' love for these three siblings is causally related to why he Delayed. Jesus' delay in coming. Mary and Martha would have been grieving for two days longer than they had to. By the time he got there, Lazarus would already have passed away. But the sisters would be there and they'd be grieving. But Jesus waited. But according to verse 5, Jesus delayed in coming to them because he loved them. So after these two days, Jesus declares his intention to go to Judea, where Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are. His disciples are incredulous. Remember, Judea is where these last two attempts on Jesus' life, they both happened fairly recently. Jesus just left there to go across the water to where he'd be further away from all these attempts on his life. Now Jesus is declaring that he's going to go back to the place where they just tried to stone him twice. So the disciples are perplexed. Jesus' response is that the danger of stumbling is only possible for those who walk in darkness. Jesus does not walk in darkness. He is the light of the world. Therefore, Jesus cannot stumble. That which happens to Jesus will be according to the plan of the Father, and nothing can thwart this. Jesus then tells his disciples that Lazarus is asleep that he must go to wake him, essentially proclaiming his intention through a figure of speech to raise Lazarus from the dead. And then he says something remarkable, that Jesus is glad for the sake of his disciples that he wasn't there. Why? That they may believe. Do not read verse 4, where it says it does not lead to death, for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. When you read that, you know, well, Lazarus has died, right? You have those two things together. Don't read that in a vacuum and end up in a place where your conclusion is that our pain and grief are trivial to God who is just out to gain glory. He does get the glory, but Jesus' motivations are also working in what way? To produce belief, what we just read, and functioning out of a sincere love for his friends. Go back to verses 5 and 6. Those three things tied together. All of this taking place in the world's ultimate point of despair, death. 
the disciples respond to what Jesus is saying by they declare their purpose in going with Jesus, not on the basis of belief in what Jesus is saying, but out of their loyalty to him as they believe him to be. They intend to go and to die with Jesus in Judea as they assume he will. The stage is set. Let's go back to the text, reading verses 17 through 27. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. So Jesus arrives in verse 17 in Bethany. At this point, Lazarus has been dead. He's been buried for four days. Many of the Jews came from Jerusalem to comfort the sisters. These Jews from Jerusalem, they would have been the same ones. If not directly involved in the last two attempts on Jesus' life, they would have known of it. They would have been around. They're there comforting the sisters in the house. And when the sisters hear that Jesus had arrived, Martha goes to him directly, but Mary remains in the house. Do you think in this moment that the sisters were feeling hurt or anger directed at Jesus? Do you think that entered their minds? Mary wouldn't even leave the house initially. She wouldn't go to meet him. Only Martha. And it doesn't tell us their tone as they are speaking to him, but the first word spoken to Jesus by both of them, and we'll read Mary saying it later, is what? Verse 21. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Both Mary and Martha would have been aware of Jesus' miracles. They knew that he had healed many of all kinds of afflictions. Jesus had fed thousands with a child's meal. He had turned water into wine. He had calmed the thrashing waves of storms, cast demons out of oppressed people. And the list goes on and on and on. And here, this same Jesus arrives in Bethany. The one that the Bible tells us is a friend to Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. And the sisters knew all of this. They knew that if Jesus had been there prior, Jesus could have healed him. Lazarus didn't have to die here, but he did. And so I have no idea what emotions and thoughts were pulsing through the hearts and minds of Mary and Martha, but in addition to the grief of having lost their brother, they are now confronted by the only one, the only one who could have intervened, but did not. So we hear Martha saying to Jesus in verse 21, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But then we find the rest 
the exchange. Martha affirms Jesus' lordship. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus tells Martha that Lazarus will rise again, and Martha says that she knows this because she knows that Lazarus will rise on the last day in the resurrection. She misunderstands what Jesus is about to do. Martha is talking about an event, the resurrection. And here we find the I am statement in this passage. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Remember, in Jesus' other I am statements, they typically are accompanied by some type of event or sign. So let's go again back to I am the bread of life. Jesus used the miraculous sign of multiplying the loaves and the fish to feed 5,000 people. Physical bread to demonstrate that he is what? The bread of of life. Here Jesus will bring a man who has been dead and buried for four days back to life to demonstrate that he is what? The resurrection and the life. He's not merely giver of resurrection and life. He is both resurrection and the life. He is both source and substance. And so only in him can they be found. In him, not from him. One cannot have life apart from Christ. He is life. Life everlasting. Life to the fullest. And just as Jesus can call a dead man from his grave. We who are dead in sin, marred by the curse, destined for eternal enmity with God. This Jesus can call us from our everlasting tombs to resurrection and life eternal in him. Jesus, he is resurrection and life. So this whole set of circumstances is a divine setup, so to speak. We know that the overarching purpose of this chain of events is not that Lazarus should die, but that God would be glorified through it. And in verse 4, we know that Jesus is motivated by his love for Lazarus and Martha and Mary. And we know that Jesus is glad that these circumstances happened, is that they did because he will, they will produce belief. Again, purpose is God's glory. And all of this is motivated by love and with all intention of producing belief. Let's go back to the text 28 through 37. When she, Martha, had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Martha, Mary, rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could he? Could not he? who opened the eyes of the blind man, also have kept this man from dying. So Martha goes back to the house and tells Mary, who had initially remained in their home, that Jesus is wanting to see her. We now shift from a private exchange between Martha and Jesus to Mary and Jesus speaking in front of an audience, this being made up of those who were there to comfort the sisters. Remember this being the many Jews who came from Jerusalem mentioned in verse 19. 
Mary repeats verbatim what Martha had said to Jesus earlier. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Mary is weeping at Jesus' feet. And those who had gone out of the house were with her, weeping. Jesus sees this and is deeply moved in spirit and greatly troubled. Work that down. That doesn't just happen in a vacuum. This is all, it's all connected. He asks them where Lazarus was buried. And as they are leading him to the tomb, we read a verse that is, how do you describe it? Jesus wept. Two words. We know already that Jesus intended to bring Lazarus back. We read this in verses 11 and 23 both. Lazarus will not remain in the grave. Lazarus will shortly walk out of this tomb. And all the weeping will turn to laughter. And yet he does not move to rebuke Mary or the others. They're weeping. He does not command them to believe, to have more faith, to rejoice because Lazarus will rise again. He does not respond callously or with an expectation that Mary should be handling this any other way than how she is. Instead, we read that he wept. Let's rewind momentarily. Remember, this whole set of circumstances is coming about that God may be glorified in it. Simultaneously, this is happening because Jesus loves them and desires to produce belief. They are deeply interconnected, and God is very much glorified in the latter of these two realities. We know here that good will come out of this horrible incident, not only in one way, but in a multitude of ways. And generally, I think we get this point. We know that it is good that God be glorified. We know that he loves us, but then in in the agony of life and loss, pain and death, sickness, failure, despair, God sometimes feels far away. We experience feelings like, I know he loves me and I know that God, God will be glorified in this, but this is agony. And we feel like we suffer alone, walled off. Don't disconnect God's glory, his love for you. And his desire to see you believe. Don't disconnect those things from Jesus weeping in verse 35. Isaiah 53, 3 says of Christ that he was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. With grief, we not just sing how deep the father's love for us. And what does that song entail? The father loves us and so he sends his son and he puts him to death. And Jesus is in a grave for three days. Don't think that Jesus can't understand grief. Jesus wept not only for them, but with them. Jesus wept with Mary, not merely for Mary's grief, but for his own. So when you are broken on the rocks of grief, do not feel like you need to conjure some sort of mystical, super-Christian fortitude that leaves grief behind you or below you, beneath you. And don't hear my words on this because my words ultimately mean Nothing. Hear the one who weeps. Christ. Just because God works all things for our good does not mean we should not grieve. Even though we know that all affliction will give way to eternal victory with Christ. Even though we know that Jesus is speaking truth. In verse 25 and 26, when he says, Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die, does not negate 
the momentary agony of pain and loss. And we find here that in the experience of Mary and Martha, this is very much a momentary loss. Lazarus' return is imminent, but Mary weeps, and Jesus is there weeping also. The responses of those present are twofold. Many recognize Jesus' love for his friends Lazarus and the sisters, inferring this from Jesus weeping. However, others present ask the question I alluded to earlier that must have crossed the minds of Mary and Martha. Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Let's go back to the text, 38 through 44. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Jesus arrives at the tomb, and we are told that he is deeply moved again. As he arrives at this cave being used as a tomb, as Lazarus' grave, Jesus commands that they remove the stone at the mouth of the cave. Martha initially protests. Lazarus has been dead and buried several days. His body will have begun to Cain, and then Jesus connects two of the themes motivating this entire set of circumstances, God's glory and humanity's belief. Right? Because he says in 40, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Jesus prays to the Father audibly so that those around him may do what? Belief. After this prayer, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with the cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Through the resurrection of Lazarus from the dead, Jesus supplies the sign that demonstrates the reality of his earlier statement. I am the resurrection and the life. All of this taking place because Jesus desires that those whom he loves would believe in him. And all of this glorifying himself and the Father in the same way this word is given to us. So that you might believe because he loves you, that he might be glorified in you, and that in your belief you may know his glory because he is resurrection and life. He is for you and for me. In him is life everlasting, both in moments of joy and of grief, whether they come and go quickly or hang over our souls like a weight feels like can never be cast off. And even then in that valley, we find that Jesus is not detached and distant. He is not drumming his fingers, wondering when you will move on. He is not preaching at you, expecting you to get back to rejoicing. He is there in the grieving with you, in you, 
and for you. In him is comfort and life because he is life, eternal life to the fullest. Death cannot overcome him. It could not in Lazarus' tomb. It could not at the cross. And it cannot now. Because he is both resurrection and life to those who cast themselves on him. This is true for me and for you. He is resurrection 